All right, we uh, again brought that to you early this week, those two interviews, so that you could understand a little better what's going on with this potential strike. And as I mentioned, we'll continue to follow that. want to invite you to tune in for the next episodes of Our Land. We've got a fascinating conversation with the director of the Administrative Office of the Courts in New Mexico. As we talked in our last episode when we focused on the mayoral race, there is a lot of talk about crime, and a lot of it has actually centered around the way that New Mexico handles pretrial releases from jail, and it's a complicated issue, and there's a recent study done by some researchers at UNM about the impacts of that, so we'll find out what that research shows and whether or not the pretrial release practices uh, are, can actually be a, uh, a factor in our crime spree of late that is top of mind for lots of folks. In addition, it's the return of our land. We've got a great one for you about Together for Brothers and their efforts to connect young pe- young men of color with our great public lands. It's, it's really crazy to think about, but a lot of these young men growing up here in Albuquerque have never spent any time in the Bosque or in the foothills of the Sandias. And one of the reasons for that is a lack of transportation. And so the effort is there to teach them how to navigate the public transportation system, how to get a bike up on a city bus and get out to these places and enjoy these wonderful things that make Albuquerque so unique. So encourage you to tune in for that, plus a whole lot more. We are excited to bring all that to you. We appreciate, as always, you tuning in, taking us with you wherever you go. Be sure to subscribe and leave us a review. All of that really helps. And until next time, thanks for listening. Hey, thanks very much, Kevin McDonald. Gene here. Another Facebook Live. It's Wednesday noon. We're very pleased to have Gene Mattis from Variety Magazine out in Los Angeles join us to talk about the IATSE situation. That's a very important news here for New Mexico. As you might know or might not know, there was a very important turn of events this past weekend, uh, which leads to some interesting turn of events that might be happening a little bit down the road. First of all, Gene, thank you very much. We know you're smoking busy this week. Really appreciate your time. No, happy to be, happy to do it. Absolutely. Do us a quick favor for folks. We do have our share of IATSE folks and 480, of course, is uh, our folks out here who are watching, who understand these issues. But for a lot of folks in New Mexico who may not realize how important some of this stuff is for us out here, even from a layperson's point of view, take us through the basics of this. What are they, who's, who are the players and what's the basic contention right now? Then we'll take a dive into some of the details. So we're talking about the the... International Alliance of Theatrical Stage Employees, which uh, represents uh, what they call the below the line workers in the film industry, a vast majority of them. So this could be anybody from the cinematographers to the sound mixers, to the costume designers, to the grips, et cetera, et cetera. Um, And they all uh, bargain collectively uh, with the studios. Um, And those talks have been going on for several months, all the way back to May. Uh, they're trying to get certain concessions. They haven't gotten anywhere. They got bogged down. And then at a certain point, you know, a couple of weeks ago, basically the union said, we need to have a strike authorization vote, uh, which they have not done before. That's a pretty you know, radical step for them. Um, and uh, they had the vote and they came back on Monday, 98% in favor of, of a strike authorization. So things are getting serious. I mean, it's not a strike yet, obviously, but um, it's definitely sort of closer to the precipice than it was. 
Interesting in your reporting, uh, some of the quotes you snagged, uh, again, paraphrasing, it seemed like the overwhelming numbers was meant to send a message to the AMTP folks. And uh, was that your sense of it as well? Yeah, uh, they have been, you know, drumming up support for this and uh, phone banking even and texting people and having informational sort of uh, town halls on Zoom and so on to try to get the word out that people should really engage on this and pay attention. Uh, so they actually got 90% turnout, which when you think about, you know, turnout in a presidential election is, you know, lower than that. Um, and so they got, you know, obviously all their members are really plugged in on this and really supportive of, of, uh, you know, the labor, uh, negotiators position. Mm -hmm. And then to, you know, 90, I think it was 98.7% in favor of the authorization. So that's pretty extraordinarily high. So they obviously did what they had to do from the membership standpoint. Mm -hmm. Interesting point there. And as you mentioned, that does not mean they're ready to vote, just gives the, the head of the union the authorization to do so. And I should mention the IATSE 480 chapter out here in New Mexico. Uh, was right in line in those numbers as well, those percentages of folks who did show up and, and folks who did vote. So very interesting there. Uh, a little more detail here. What is the major bones of contention from the, uh, the union folks? What are they looking for from the producers? And we'll talk about who they are, the producers here in a quick sec, but what's, sure. what's the major points here? The, the major one, uh, sort of the primary thing that everybody's been focused on is uh, the long hours that people work um, so during production, you might uh, see people working 14 hours a day or longer, 15, 16 hours a day sometimes. And that's been true for decades, you know, that, that has been an issue. And people have been uh, complaining about it for decades, honestly. Uh, you know, the, the issue of, you know, workers who are so tired at the end of a workday that they sort of nod off on their way home. Um, and that there, there have been crashes that people have talked about in, in, in previous uh, years. And so that has been an issue time and time again. These, these contracts get negotiated every three years. It comes up over and over. They haven't really gotten anything done on that. So that's a major one. Um, there's also an issue around streaming services, which pay a lower rate, some of them, for uh, you know, the same work. Um, because the idea is that streaming services are, you know, a new thing that we want to encourage. Well, that was 12 years ago that that got put in. Obviously, streaming services are here to stay at this right. point. Yes, so yes. They, they argue, you know, we need to bring you up to the same level that everybody else uh, pays. Um, there are some workers who make $16, $17, $18 an hour, something like that, uh, which is very low uh, by uh, industry standards. And so they'd like to bring that up, you know, 25, 30 bucks, something like that. Um, so those are the, the sort of the major, major issues. Mm -hmm. There's a few other things as well, but that's sort mm -hmm. of the primary stuff. You know, those long hours are, are fairly interesting. If I have it right, uh, folks are looking for a 10 hour turnaround um, during the week at minimum. And a, right. do I have it right as a 54 minimum turnaround on weekends? Because the weekends are brutal for these folks. Yeah. Uh, so, and, and a turnaround to be clear is the time between the, the work day the, mm -hmm. between shifts. So if you have a 10 hour turnaround, then that's, you know, a 14 hour day, right? 24 minus 10. It's still a pretty long day. Right. Uh, but they're saying that, you know, it shouldn't be, there should be a maximum 14 hour day. It shouldn't go any longer than that. And then on the weekend, it's sort of this weird circumstance where, you know, on, on Monday, you might start at 7am and work 12, 14 hours. Then Tuesday, the, the start time is a little later, and then Wednesday, it's a little later. And then by Friday, you're starting at like 5 p.m., 6 p.m. for an overnight shift. Mm 
-hmm. and then you might be done at 7 a.m on saturday so then you go home you know crash fall asleep wake up at four in the afternoon on saturday and that's your you know your one day of your two days of the weekend is gone and uh, you have sunday and then you go back to work at 7 a.m on monday so they're saying we need a, a real weekend, which is, mm -hmm. you know, when you think about what the labor movement is about going back 100 years, you know, right. getting a weekend is sort of a big part of it. So, um, you know, uh, that is that has been, you know, what they want is 54 hours. We'll see if there's some wiggle room on that, but they, mm -hmm. they don't actually have a formal weekend at this point. Mm -hmm. You know, I should uh, let the folks know that our local chapter here, 40, 480 for IATSE, has been very active on this issue because we had a fatality out here. Uh, from this, from long on the Longmire shoot, we had someone behind the wheel who passed away from an accident. Yeah, and it really put into focus a lot of the issues you're talking about on a local basis out here. It really, it really was quite the wake up call. Um, the producers, so to speak, and and what they want. It's interesting to read things or try to read into what they want because it's not a whole lot from them <laughs> on paper right, right now. Uh, who are they, and and what are they looking for necessarily? So the producers, it's your major studios, your, you know, your Disney's and your NBC Universal's and so on, Warner Brothers, plus Netflix, Amazon, those the streaming services are part of that. And then a lot of smaller production companies as well. So uh, it's basically, you know, everybody who makes movies and TV shows for the most part. Um, you know, it's not independent film, it's not low budget, but it's, it's everything major. Um, in terms of what they want, I mean, they, I think, traditionally have sort of looked at the labor negotiations as largely being about the pension and health plan. And there has been, you know, uh, every three years or so, it's a conversation about, hey, the, 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 the plans are underfunded and we need to do something to shore them up. And that ends up being like 95% of what they talk about. And then the other priorities kind of fall off the table. Um, so that, again, is sort of what they're focused on is like there's I think they've set a $400 million shortfall on the, the pension plan and, hey, we're willing to like, you know, we have some solutions to fix some of that, but then if we do all that, we're not gonna be able to help you out on these other issues. So that's been their sort of position and the union really driven by the membership, honestly, um, more than the leadership even has sort of been focused like, no, our priority is this hours issue. You know, we've been talking about it for decades. We wanna actually finally do something about it. Mm -hmm. We're talking to Gene Mattis. He is the senior media uh, writer for Variety Magazine in Los Angeles. Appreciate his time today. Um, from the pretty, you know, you hear a lot of the membership, IOTC membership say in the official wording and sometimes unofficial wording that these media companies are worth billions of dollars now. They have a lot of money. They could clearly afford all these things you're talking about. What's the issue? You know, and, and, and it's not uncommon on in business for any segment in a portfolio to have to sort of rise and fall on its own, so to speak. Right. It has to have its own profit and loss, has to have its own labor negotiations. It's not about bleeding money over from the other side of the business, so to speak. Does, it, does that get terribly far with, with IOTC members? Are they just seeing this flat out as like, guys, sorry, your market cap is worth X. I'm not hearing it anymore. Um, I mean, yeah, you, you could just point to what Wall Street has uh, has done with these stocks in the last you know couple of years and say you guys are you know multi hundred million dollar hundred billion dollar companies and uh, you can afford it is basically mm -hmm. their position. Um, you know, uh, that is obviously not how the producers see it, um, and they you know it, it's interesting like 
you know, on the streaming side, there is less of a focus on that profit and loss issue because it's much more about growth it's, than it is about showing a profit sometimes. Uh, so, but the traditional studios are very much, you know, we can't give an inch because we have, a, you know, and I mean, the other factor here is we've got a pandemic, right? The last right, 18 right. months, like the movie industry is not doing well, you know, like they shut down theaters, people are still not back at theaters. Um, you know, and it's it's created all sorts of problems down the chain in terms of the release model for everything. So their argument would be, look, guys, we're number one, we, our business model is extremely in flux. Like we don't know if we're going to be able to make as much money on streaming as we made with the traditional theater model. Right. And then, you know, we've also had to spend all this money just to get back up into business, like this, right. all this money on uh, COVID protocols. It's like a 10%, 15% of the budget now goes towards, you know, all these COVID protections. So their argument, and, you know, it's an argument you'd expect them to make, but it's their argument is, you know, we're hurting. We're not in a position to be super generous this time around. Mm -hmm. Clearly, the union's not having it. I mean, you can you can tell by the by the uh, their tone, so to speak. And that brings me to uh, some reporting you actually had out this morning, which I thought was really fascinating. And, and again, we've got a link to it in our thread here. Uh, we're talking to Gene. Uh, uh, sorry, I forgot your last name already. Sorry, Gene. My fault. Gene Mattis. Mattis. My fault, Gene. <laughs> I'm no so hung up on our similar first name. Your last name flipped there. Uh, Gene Mattis, senior media writer for uh, Variety magazine. In that, in, in, referring back to the IATSE head, Mr. Loeb, and what comes next, you made an interesting point at the bottom of the piece that it's all well and good to be fired up about a strike authorization vote. And as a member of two unions, and one of which did come to a strike point, it's a whole nother deal when you have an actual strike vote oh, yeah. and actually hitting the bricks. It's a, and, and again, no predictions here. I don't want to go there. But in your sense of it, it you know, does the membership, does the union membership have a full grasp of what it really would mean to strike and, and fully here? It's hard to say. I mean, one thing that you could say about it is they did just have a shutdown for COVID a year wow. ago. And so everybody was out of work, you know, thrown out of work with no warning in March of 2020. True. And they found a way to survive, right? Yep. And so there might be a feeling of like, well, I've already been through four or five months, six months without work, you know, I know how that goes. It doesn't scare me the way it might otherwise. Mm -hmm. Now, mm -hmm. when you're on strike, you don't get unemployment, right? And when you're thrown out of work for COVID and they have all these special programs, especially for gig workers and the plussed up unemployment, I mean, it's a different thing. Um, I, I still think you know, most people are sort of not expecting a strike necessarily, even with this vote. I think they feel like this is what we had to do to get them back to the table and we'll find a deal. And like the issues aren't so fundamental that there isn't some middle ground that can be found. Um, but yeah, as you said, like if you're if you're out of work, it, it's three weeks, it's four weeks, you know, trying to keep everybody together. Mm -hmm. um, especially if, you know, one side's getting something and the other side's not, and, you know, you could start to play one off the other a little bit, like it could get a little bumpy. Mm -hmm. um, right now, there's a lot of unity. Obviously, everybody's feeling very good about that vote, um, and they should, but, um, you know, it, it's a different animal, as you said, when you're, when you're actually on strike. Very much so. I remember we got 50 bucks a week in strike pay. 
Mm -hmm. and so right. it didn't work out too well for a lot of people. So, you know, and that's and that's the interesting part about these kind of things. It is a risk, isn't it? I mean, it's a game of chicken at the end of the day. Yeah, I mean, it's the only leverage they have, right? Like, right. what can you do when you're in a union? You can go on strike. Like, that's that's your power. Mm -hmm. So that's that's what they have to do. Mm -hmm. um, and obviously, they've made the point that like, no, we're serious about these issues. And, you know, uh, they've never even done a strike authorization vote before, much less a strike. Right. Um, you know, IATSE has been around for 128 years. They've never had a nationwide strike. So that's what we're talking about, shutting down all of film and TV production across the country for the first time. I mean, it's a big step if, mm -hmm. if it gets that far. Um, but yeah, they, you know, we're already sort of in uncharted territory, so it's hard to really make any predictions. Very much so. I'll finish with this. I do have a, just a couple of last questions for you. I found it very interesting in your reporting that you found a way to kind of hitch this to a greater vibe that's going on across the country right now. This is not an isolated thing. When you really think about it, there were a lot of factors that inform this because as you pointed out, there have been negotiations going on every three years to kind of get over this, but it, it never really happened. Why is it different today? What, what, what are the circumstances that got everyone to the table inside IATSE where before the same issues were out there, but it didn't come together. Uh, I think there was a lot of ferment within the union, you know, when people were off during COVID and then you had the George Floyd situation, there was a lot of focus on diversity within the union, diversity in the industry, but also in the union. You know, right. a lot of times when you talk about diversity in Hollywood, it's talking about actors, right? or writers, directors. Mm -hmm. But this is, you know, below the line too, there's huge issue on diversity. And so there was a lot of focus on, on that. You know, how are, these, how are these jobs still so predominantly white and male? Mm -hmm. And a lot of sort of organizing and like internal elections that sort of turned on those issues and focus on those issues where, you know, it gave people sort of connection to each other. And obviously the social media component to it where mm -hmm. people are all talking about these things you know, in a way they might not have been previously. And obviously they have a lot more time on their hands if they're not working. So I think a lot of that energy has kind of sort of found a new outlet too. Um, so, you know, I, I don't know if that's like the single explanatory factor or anything, but it's a factor in there. Like people are just sort of, you know, tuned in maybe in a way that they weren't previously. Interesting points there. Hey, Gene Mattis, senior media writer for Variety Magazine. Really appreciate your time. Maybe at some point down the road, we can catch up with you if this thing takes a, t a wild turn. Um, but again, your time is pretty precious this week. So I want to say thank you. No, absolutely. And, absolutely. Our pleasure as well. And folks, we'll be on Friday night this week with a special broadcast of the uh, debate, mayoral debate that happened last week, last Tuesday. Uh, Kathy McGill, one of our frequent line guests, was, was the host for the New Mexico Black Voters Collaborative. So tune in at seven o'clock for that. But again, Gene, thank you very much. And folks, we will see you next time. Take care and have a good day. So we've talked a lot about what the argument in this potential strike are about, but we wanted to hear from some of the people on the front lines to find out exactly what their work life is like and why they feel like they are not being properly taken care of. We've talked about the work, long work hours and, and lack of breaks and quick turnarounds, but there's also overall pay issues and healthcare, usual sorts of issues in any workplace, but that's obviously reached a fever pitch here in the film industry. And so 
Friday afternoon, we held another Facebook Live with the head of IATSE, that's the union representing these film workers, as well as uh, a trio of other folks involved in the union and in the industry to just get their stories about what it's like in the industry and and uh, why they voted the way they did, uh, paving the way potentially for this strike. And we will stay on top of this story as it progresses. We know that the governor, the mayor of Albuquerque have all shown their support for the union workers. And, and so we know negotiations are happening behind closed doors still may be able to avoid the strike, but it's something that we are keeping track of. But here now, some personal stories from those in the film industry here in New Mexico. Hey, caught me there. Hey, guys, welcome to a special Facebook Live. It's a Friday edition, not a Wednesday edition, as we usually do at noon. But we have you been watching us lately. We have been tracking very closely the situation currently happening in California, where the IATSE and AMTP negotiations are currently going on right now, and we'll see what happens with that in a matter of days or hours or weeks. We don't know, but we're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about New Mexico. In our chapter out here, which is IATSE Local 480, we're very pleased to have IATSE, uh, uh, President IATSE Local 480, Liz Pecos. We've also got with us Jessica Hoffman. She's a field representative for IATSE Local 480. And Sean Garcia, he's IATSE 480 member. Sean, we appreciate you being in this as well. We might have Marisa France, might join us in progress uh, as we go along here, but that's how Zoom works, no big deal there. Uh, Liz, let me start with you, of course, uh, and let me go peel back a week. Um, obviously, the local chapter voted in the same kind of numbers and percentages as the other chapters. Tell us about that. How strong was 480 in the vote going for that strike authorization vote? Thanks, Jean. Uh, thank you for having us. Yes, uh, members in IATSE Local 480 uh, really had a strong outpouring uh, of support during the strike authorization vote. Uh, we we um, had this vote, this vote happened last weekend and our members voted with a 93% voter return and a 99% approval rate. So a little bit higher than the national average for our vote for the vote, um, which may, viewers may know was the 90% uh, voter return and 98% approval to approve a strike authorization vote. So here in New Mexico, we're in full support behind our international um, with approval to, to move to a strike if we need to. Mm -hmm. um, for the folks, again, we're talking to two different audiences here. This always seems to happen uh, in the film business here in New Mexico. Those who know a lot about IATSE and those who know nothing about IATSE. Let's take the latter part first. Who makes up IATSE locally? What are the, what are the crafts that make up uh, uh, the union here? Uh, thanks. So IATSC, International Alliance of Theatrical Motion Picture Employees, uh, we represent 99 different craft departments of below the line film workers. So we are the people behind the scenes. We are doing everything from prepping productions, building of the sets, and if anything that happens during the course of a production, we represent all those craft departments. So construction, art department, on set, we've got grip and electric, special effects, hair, makeup, costumes, props, and then we've got the production office, accounting, production office uh, personnel, everyone that is the wheels behind, that keep the uh, bus going, as it were, for production. That's a lot of folks. Unbelievable. Of folks. And one of those folks is uh, with us today, field representative, uh, Jessica Hoffman. Jessica, I really appreciate it. For the folks who are not in 480 world, what exactly is a field representative uh, for the organization? What do you do? 
Yeah, so as a field representative, uh, a big part of my job is contract enforcement. So making sure that the employers are, are abiding by the uh, obliged uh, minimums of the agreement in effect. Um, and I also handle a lot of workplace concerns. So a, a lot of I get a lot of calls on scheduling issues and um, just uh, interdepartmental uh, issues. Uh, so we tend to give advice on that. And then uh, and payroll issues is another big part of my job. I help uh, mediate any payroll disputes between the uh, our crew members and the employers. So that's that's in a nutshell my biggest my biggest task day to day. It's a giant nutshell. I mean, those are three very big, <laughs> you know, issue areas there. Let's start with workplace uh, complaints and things like that. We'll get on in detail later, but in your general sense, what's been the sense of the local 480 folks here uh, about how the treatment has gone on film sets over these past few years? Are, are, are we in the same sort of boat other states are? Is it worse here? I, I, what's your sense of it? I'd say that for sure, the industry here is, is a microcosm of the industry as a whole. Um, and in a state like New Mexico, uh, where the agreement in question that, that we're fighting uh, for right now uh, to make changes on now, um, in, in New Mexico specifically, crew in most cases can be treated as, as local hires no matter where they live uh, within the state. So you've got a lot of folks in New Mexico that may be living two hours or so from where they're reporting to and from work. Um, and as you, as you mentioned, uh, rest periods are, are a big deal. The time in between when they wrap from work and when they're expected to report to work um, is a big concern. Uh, a lot of calls that I get, uh, frankly, there's a lot of dismay over the fact that, uh, you know, essentially if you're traveling two hours to and from work with a 10 hour rest period, that's going to give you six hours to yourself, right? Um, and then also talking about the weekend rest period is another is another big uh, point of contention uh, that we deal with in terms of workplace concerns uh, and scheduling as, a, as it kind of pertains to the agreement that we're fighting for. Mm -hmm. Let's hone in on that on the the dreaded uh, Friday day, as they as you guys call it. Uh, uh, it's a term, obviously brings smiles. Sean smiling, probably uh, grimacing at, in pain, probably at the memory. <laughs> but they are, they can be brutal. To I've witnessed them a couple of times. Tell the folks what that's like to work. Uh, I'm sticking with uh, Jessica here for a quick sec. Tell the folks what that's like to have those kind of crazy weekend Friday Saturday shifts. Yeah, yeah, and what uh, for anybody who doesn't know uh, what a Friday day is is, um, is is an overnight shoot. You may start later on in the in the evening and then shoot overnight into the morning. Um, and and one of the big things that makes that so dangerous is that you're starting the week off at you know starting at five a.m. and then by the end of the week you're starting at five p.m. and that really messes with you know your circadian rhythm um, mm -hmm. with everything. So when you're leaving home leaving work at eight a.m. on a Saturday, um, you're you're basically impaired as you're driving home right um and then and then you only have uh until you know they don't have to give you a minimum weekend guarantee oftentimes they will just have you come in the following monday at 6 a.m so you come home 10 a.m on saturday morning you sleep all day you basically have a day to live your life and then you're expected to be back in and it's you know it's disruptive for your sleep uh your your emotional physical well-being and disruptive to your family as well mm -hmm. Uh, and I should note, of course, uh, you guys know this, but for anybody watching that doesn't know, we have had a, tra uh, a tragedy here regarding uh, Longmire. We had, you know, someone with long hours and make it a long drive and, you know, falling asleep behind the wheel. You know, Sean, is a very real thing out there. I hear about this from, from film people all the time. And I appreciate what Jessica just mentioned that, you know, even from Albuquerque to Santa Fe, an hour is a long time behind the wheel when you're exhausted. Have you had to deal with this as well in your work with 480 on film shoots here? Definitely. Um, 
it's it's pretty common. It's pretty common that you are going to get off, you know, at 5 a.m. on a Saturday morning. And a lot of times what makes it dangerous is we shoot in a lot of different locations. You could be out in the mountains. This is one of the things that, you know, is going to make it even more dangerous. You're on switchback roads. You know, you're exhausted. You've worked possibly up to 70 hours that week. Um, and you know, you're using all your faculties just to get home. Uh, loads of people have fallen asleep at the wheel and, and, you know, <laughs> just showed up for work on Monday morning, you know, and it's lucky. Mm-hmm. It's lucky a lot of times. Um, and yeah, that's just what we're, we're trying to fight against. It's just try mm-hmm. to get, you know, those better turnaround times. Exactly right. I can imagine you see the, the, the shoot schedule, you see nighttime shoots, it's just got to be a heart sinking, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. if you know what's coming, I, I could imagine. You know, Sean, how, how, how long have you been in, uh, in uh, uh, 480? How long have you been a member? I have a reason I'm asking you this. Uh, I've been in 480 for nine years, since 2000. Years. Okay, okay. You know, one of the negotiating points is the amount of hours it takes to get vested in um, retirement plans and things like that. Liz, I want to bounce to you on this one. You know, and I've talked to some 480 folks here uh, locally, and that's a very big deal for them to be able to qualify. I think it's 450 versus AMTP once like something like 900 hours or whatever. I may have the details wrong there, but talk about that, that way of earning your way into the union and earning your way up and why this is so important for members for this, have this kind of stability going forward. Right. So, you know, part of what we're talking about uh, in, in the, and what we're, digging in and saying that this is about is is exactly what you're referring to uh gene this is it's it's about sustainable benefits mm-hmm. like everyone should have affordable health care and everyone should have the ability to uh prepare for retirement um and and we we have the ability to earn those benefits as union members so when we're talking about future agreements those plans have to be funded by the employer um, these hours that we're talking about that the crew members spend working 70 hour weeks, 80 hour weeks, 90 hour weeks minimum, um, come at a great cost to our own physical and mental health and well-being time away spent from our families. And at what cost at the end of the day, we want to be able to take care of our families, prepare for a future, have those health benefits. And we haven't even talked about like the chronic benefit, the chronic health issues that happen. Uh, people have to retire early often because of the wear and tear that it causes on our bodies. So um, it is extremely important that when we talk about um, the employers uh, funding these benefits that, that, is, that is included as part of the deal, especially for new media, mm-hmm. which has gotten on for 10 years, gotten away for 10 years with these um, agreements because it was not uh, seen as, as uh, if it was going to be a viable um, business model. And now we see that it's very clearly a viable business model. The streamers are bringing in hundreds of millions of dollars from um, their subscriber accounts and Disney Plus and Netflix and Amazon, obviously are, uh, those are those are reliable business models. So we're saying that those are, those are equivalent to other producers and they need to be funding the benefits, the um, funds as well and paying livable wages. Some of our low earners are not even earning those livable wages. Good, good points there. And I've, I've noticed that too in the negotiations. There's so many layers uh, in the film and television business and new media business that got to cover everybody. If you leave anybody out, it, it, it's a problem, uh, certainly. Jessica, let me bounce back to you for a quick second. Um, one of the more interesting bits 
in the negotiation is the, again, for folks who are not in the industry is the idea of the eating lunch in your hand <laughs> and still working, but being paid. It, it's a bizarre system. Can you explain what that is about? And then also why it does or does not work and why folks are looking to get past this, this scheme? Yeah, sure. So, so the agreement in question, um, uh, basically all that it says in regards to lunch breaks, uh, meal breaks are that they, the production can deduct a half hour or an hour from, uh, from somebody's time when they, they go and take a break off of work. Uh, some alternatives that they can offer are to just have crew work straight through lunch right. and basically chuck a burrito or a sandwich at them, let them scarf it down and uh, pay them penalties for, uh, for working while they're eating. Um, and then another option that they can do gets a little bit more convoluted, which is French hours, which means that they keep working. Um, this requires a vote on, uh, from a majority of the crew. They keep working. Uh, food is available to them all day. They can break away and go eat, but they never get paid penalties and they never get a break on the clock. Mm -hmm. um, so with all these different ways that they can, they can uh, facilitate that break, there's a lot of... Um, there's a lot of things that can fall through the cracks. Uh, the, one, one of the reasons that they um, may not want to break for lunch is because they're trying to get a lot done in a shooting day, right? Um, and they're, they're trying to stay on schedule. And uh, to, to the producers, to the folks making the decisions, they're in their offices, you know, they don't, they, they get their break whenever they want. Um, the crew may not, you know, it may look good on paper, that, but the crew may not actually get their time to break. Mm -hmm. um, and it's not about, it's not about paying us penalties. It's not about money. It's not about uh, buying out, you know, the, the, our break time. It is about getting time off from work and being able to reset yourself for the rest of the day and continue to work safely. Mm -hmm. Well, we want to welcome Marisa Franz, who's joining us. Marisa, thank you. You're the secretary for the tre secretary treasurer for Local Yahtzee 480. Thank you. We know you're up there in the wilds of New Mexico. The internet connections come and go. That's how we do it here. Um, what we've been covering so far, Marisa, is just quite simply what happens on film sets, why 480 is, has joined so strongly with the other chapters out there and wanting some changes out here. Now we're sort of digging, digging into some of the details of what happens on film sets, as you just heard with the uh, walking meal break. I don't want to let that go because I want Sean to kind of get us on in on that one too. Sean, does that system work from your point of view? You're the one having to hold a sandwich and, and work at the same time. Do, yeah. What's the deal? I mean, I, I, uh, it's 50-50 it's sometimes. Like sometimes yeah. taking a break does slow you down, you know? Now the, 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 the difference is it would be it would be awesome if we could work these hours work through a lunch and then get off in our normal 12 hour day or a 10 hour day or something like that mm -hmm. that's the problem is arises when we do these walking lunches we end up still working a 15 hour day mm -hmm. and we've never taken a break you know throughout the entire day and then you know whenever we get into these uh places where we're doing a Friday night shoot an overnight and you know you're at 75 hours you haven't really broken for lunch you haven't really taken any breaks you know um that's where it kind of gets to be uh, a little sticky or whatever if you want to however you want to put it mm -hmm. um we we a lot of times don't mind working through the lunch keeping it going problem being we don't, we don't stop early, any earlier, you know, it's like, we're still doing this 15 hour day, no matter what. And that's, and that's why they do it. They're trying to squeeze in more stuff, but yet it's almost like they're, they're still going through their motions. Mm -hmm. 
you know, Marisa, that's, sure. That's no, I hear that loud and clear. Marisa, interestingly, when you when you think about the negotiations that are going on now, uh, or currently, I should more accurately, um, you know, the idea that the studios will just pay it because the ding is not quite high enough to, to really get their attention on this. It just doesn't matter if they have to pay through a working lunch. Uh, talk about that part, if you would. You know, financial incentives are sometimes a big part of moving <laughs> negotiations forward and things like that. Um, yeah, I missed a little bit of the last part of your question, but mm -hmm. um, yeah, I agree. It's, you know, I think the studios are all competing with each other for release dates, truly. And if it costs them a little bit extra to pay a few, you know, moderate penalties and really overwork everybody to get the shoot finished a week earlier then you know, so they can have that release date, you know, it's, it's financially beneficial to them at the expense of our crew, our working members. And mm -hmm. I'm a working member myself. Um, I work in the art department when I'm working. So I work on the prep side and something that I think doesn't get mentioned a lot is, um, you know, in addition to kind of whittling down the number of shooting days, you know, over a long period of time and packing more and more work into a shorter and shorter time period, they've also been whittling down the um, prep time of a lot of these productions. And so side where we're prepping, um, all of the sets and, you know, nobody, a lot of people aren't talking right now about the fact that, you know, productions over the last decade have shaved weeks off of the prep time that we take to prepare a movie. And that has a cascading effect and ends up affecting the people who work on set during the shoot days. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. You know, Liz, let me bounce to you for a quick second on this. I, I forgot, I neglected to ask, how many members are the IATSE Local 480? Uh, we currently have approximately 1,600 members in the 480 uh, chapter of, of IATSC in New Mexico, but we also have local 600 uh, cinematographers here in New Mexico, and we have uh, members from local 800 uh, here in New Mexico as well. So in total, you're looking at close to 2,000 IATSC workers. Um, and then at any one time, we have, we have people that are, that are uh, visiting from other jurisdictions as well. So um, that, that number expands. And then we currently have over a thousand New Mexicans on our overflow list. They're earning days towards membership. And once you get the 30 days towards membership, you become a union member. So we, we are growing uh, with the amount of production that's in New Mexico and we have been steadily growing and we expect to continue to steadily grow over the mm -hmm. next several years. Liz, you know, we've seen on the national front a number of politicians, uh, celebrities in support and other unions, of course, in support as well. What's been the local take? Have you gotten support from locals who are not in the film industry? Have they been calling you and lending a, a, a hand here? Oh, yes, absolutely. The um, New Mexico Federation of Labor, our AFL-CIO chapter here in the state has thrown full support behind, um, behind IATSE. Um, they've, they've made a contribution to us for any uh, strike fund needs if we would need it. They are willing to support us if we end up going to picket lines um, mm. and anything else. They've issued public letters of support and then individual affiliates within our um, labor uh, chapters here in the state are also issuing letters of support. Mm -hmm. And then that extends into our state leadership as well. We've got support from Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham, from leadership uh, from the uh, both the House and the Senate. Uh, we've got mayoral support. 
Um, so, so the, and then we also, uh, you may have seen that there was a letter issued from Congress, members of Congress, uh, over 120 members of Congress wrote a letter to the AMPTP uh, requesting that they bargain in good faith and recognize our demands. So all of our um, Democratic members of Congress signed on to that letter as well. Mm -hmm. I appreciate you mentioning all of those. Is there, any, Liz, is there anything unique to New Mexico you've had to work up the chain uh, to Mr. Loeb, so to speak, and say, look, there's a certain things out here that are a little bit different from what you guys do in Georgia or California or Michigan. Anything, any kind of conversations along those lines? Yeah, I think Jessica talked a little bit on this topic. Um, we're, we're very similar in the, you know, film is made very similarly in all jurisdictions. So we're experiencing the same kinds of issues that everyone is experiencing. They're global issues. Mm -hmm. What makes New, New Mexico specifically unique are our conditions working in the high desert. Our members are out there on location frequently in the elements and we shoot year round. So you're dealing with the extreme heat, the extreme cold. We work, like we said, all, all hours of the day throughout the week. And then after these very long excessive shifts, day after day, week after week, driving home on very dark New Mexico roads. I think it just creates a lot of danger for specifically New Mexican film workers uh, you get that the, that road hypnosis happening, and you mm -hmm. mentioned the tragedy that happened on Longmire. But right. all of us know of one person or more that has either fallen asleep at the wheel, had a car accident, or or know someone that has actually had a tragedy happen that just didn't make the news. Um, and that's too much. And that's a common story in our state. Mm -hmm. I could imagine, Jessica. I, I'm curious again. Again, you, so many issue areas that you deal with on on film sets. Um, the level of optimism you're, you're feeling from folks that there's a literally a better day coming. I mean, these are, you know, you're artists, you want to do stuff, you want to make things, people want to create stuff. They just don't want to have to, you know, risk their lives to do it. I, I'm curious if you're feeling like, you know, hey, this, we could be turning a corner here. Something good could be coming for all of us. Absolutely. Absolutely. I do. I do get that sentiment out there. And I think that folks are taking this opportunity to become informed, uh, become empowered um, and really understand the conditions uh, that that they are the, the production company is obliged to give them and understand uh, the limits that the production company will go. They will they will push the limits of anything that's minimally obliged. Um, and I think mm -hmm. that uh, after years of seeing them essentially uh, ignore our quality of life needs while they reap the benefits, uh, specifically new media producers, um, I feel ma making hand over fist. I think that now we're the, there's a, a sense in the membership and I think it's absolutely uh, has come about from the pandemic where everybody's reevaluating their place and what's important to them and, mm -hmm. and seeing, yes, yeah, seeing brighter days ahead, how we can get there, what we can do, what we can demand to make our quality of life just as good as the folks up above. Right. Hey, Maurice, I got to get you in on this one, too. And um, I, I really appreciate what Jessica just said. This was something that uh, Gene Mattis at the, in Variety mentioned in one of his uh, pieces earlier, and that is the times are frankly changing. And, and, and this is part of a bigger thing going on right now where folks are very much seriously taking their, their health seriously, their family lives seriously. Like something has changed. And it would be ridiculous to think that the studios could completely ignore something like this. Are, are you as optimistic, again, as same question I asked Jessica, about how some of these changes might in fact be very big changes for how we make film and television in new media here in New Mexico? 
I'm definitely more optimistic um, than I was when I first joined this industry in 2004. Mm -hmm. And I would, I even like to kind of lens out and take a broader view and kind of view this through the perspective of unionism as a whole in this country and the labor yeah. movement in in America. Um, you know, we're at a, a very, we're at one of the lowest points of labor union membership um, in our country's history, and we're at a point where the the, the gap between the richest people in this country and the average worker is as big as it has ever been. And those two are directly linked. And I believe that we're gonna start to see a big shift dramatically in um, the, an increase in uh, labor union membership in the coming years ahead. And I think mm -hmm. that our industry can be a model for what it looks like for workers to unite and act collectively to improve their conditions. And um, that's my hope is that we can be a model for uh, labor unions around the country and workers um, in America. Mm -hmm. That is a beautiful final note. That is really well said. Uh, I've heard that from many people from Bernie Sanders on down. If you wanna have, bring some equity to this country, you got a union up all over the place. So uh, big thanks to Liz Pecos, the president of IATSE Local 480. Marisa Franz, you just heard from, she's secretary treasurer, IATSE Local 480. Jessica Hoffman, thank you very much, of course. For your work as field representative, those were some uh, interesting insights from your work out there. And Sean Garcia, thank you again for your insights as well as being someone uh, out there in the field, so to speak. Liz, we can check in with you again when something comes down. We don't know when it's going to happen, but obviously it would be big news for New Mexico. We'd love the opportunity to talk with you again, however this next turn goes. <laughs> yes, that would be great, Gene. Thank you. We appreciate the support from New Mexico. Uh, for, for film workers, you know, Ed, this is this is um, very this is interesting times, historical times for our union, for film, for uh, labor, mm -hmm. and uh, so we appreciate this opportunity to to uh, get the word out. Excellent, thanks, guys. We'll see you tonight at seven for um, the show tonight, and next week, of course, we'll be right back here Wednesday for another Facebook Live at noon as well. So take care. Have a good weekend. Enjoy Balloon Fiesta if you're heading up that way too. Thank you, Gene. Thank you, Gene. Absolutely. All right, we uh, again brought that to you early this week, those two interviews, so that you could understand a little better what's going on with this potential strike. And as I mentioned, we'll continue to follow that want to invite you to tune in for the next episodes of Our Land. We've got a fascinating conversation with the director of the Administrative Office of the Courts in New Mexico. As we talked in our last episode when we focused on the mayoral race, there is a lot of talk about crime and a lot of it has actually centered around the way that New Mexico handles pretrial releases from jail and it's a complicated issue and there's a recent study done by some researchers at UNM about the impacts of that so we'll find out what that research shows and whether or not the pretrial release practices uh, are can actually be a, uh, a factor in our crime spree of late that is top of mind for lots of folks in addition it's the return of our land we got a great one for you about together for brothers 
and their efforts to connect young pe- young men of color with our great public lands. It's, it's really crazy to think about, but a lot of these young men growing up here in Albuquerque have never spent any time in the Bosque or in the foothills of the Sandias. And one of the reasons for that is a lack of transportation. And so the effort is there to teach them how to navigate the public transportation system, how to get a bike up on a city bus and get out to these places and enjoy these wonderful things that make Albuquerque so unique. So encourage you to tune in for that, plus a whole lot more. We are excited to bring all that to you. We appreciate, as always, you tuning in, taking us with you wherever you go. Be sure to subscribe and leave us a review. All of that really helps. And until next time, thanks for listening.